change your body, change your life. Congratulations and welcome to the Haven Warrior Challenge. You cannot settle. You are a king. Fight, motherfucker. Congratulations and welcome to the Haven Brotherhood. You were not meant to settle for a mediocre life, brother. You were meant to stand tall, speak firmly, and move into the world confidently and assertively to create and live a life on your terms. This is for the men who are sick and tired of settling, for the men who want it all in money, muscle, mindset, and meaning. This is the End Settling Show with your host, Bismarck Montiel, founder and leader of Haven Gym, Haven Warrior Challenge, and the Haven Brotherhood. Let's get it fucking rolling. Three, hello, welcome, Astrid, the anti-diet dietitian. How are you doing on this lovely uh, Memorial Day weekend? Oh, amazingly! Thank you so much for having me here. You got it. You got it. Thank you so much for offering me the opportunity to have a conversation with one of the people who, and I don't say this to everybody who goes on the show, but to one of the people who I really have learned tons from plenty plenty and plenty of stuff when it comes to nutrition coaching when it comes to nutritional science and most of all evidence-based dieting and uh and health so that being said astrid um as much as i want to keep on applauding you because i keep on going for at least another half an hour i do want to ask you just for for everyone who's listening in and watching um can you tell all of us what's your story like what do you do why do you do it and who do you do it for all right so i i am originally from south america and I moved to Australia seven years ago. And basically, I decided to start my career in dietetics, nutrition dietetics, about perhaps nine years ago, if, I, if my memory is right. Mm -hmm. And basically, what I decided to do it was initially because I wanted to make things right. Back then, I was younger and more immature in the sense of that, where I'm going to do this for one reason but perhaps many other things will come up along the way so when i started initially my my degree i was already a personal trainer and i was having many many different clients and they were asking me for diets and i wasn't happy with the way i was or like confident with the way i was doing things and i felt that at that point Nutrition was much more than what I thought it was. It was more important than just creating a meal plan or following a specific diet because I saw people struggling to keep up with it. And I then I thought, this has to be more than just writing down a diet and people following it. And it's not that you write things down, it, it, is, it has a lot of planning, just even before you actually put in, into a paper a lot of different lists of foods or things that people need to follow. So what is before that, that needs to make much more sense to actually make the person follow it in a way that is aligned towards their preferences, their goals, their needs, and how can this be sustainable? Now I think this in a much better perspective since I've been during my career seeing many, many different clients and uh, different patients in different settings. I have worked in the clinical 
and acute uh, with acute patients as well as like outpatients when uh, people come to you to ask you for your advice and your help. And I now have been working for about three years in the coaching, in the online coachings when I moved to Australia, decided to expand much more my, my coaching rather than just one-on-one. And this, it, this is when I've been really delving much more into, well, this is not just a meal plan. It, it is much more than that because you got to look and see the, peop, the person that you're treating in a much more deeper way. So it is a holistic approach. The person is not just food. Uh, it's not going to just go and eat or follow a diet because you, you, they ask you to do that for them. But it is what's happening around their world, what is going on in their mind, what's, uh, how's the relationship with food, um, uh, what is their diet history. Um, it's just so many different things that you need to consider before you just talk about food and put something in place for them. So I guess that would be the main reason why I've, I've chosen to delve much deeper into coaching. Because initially you think, well, you as a dietitian, your role is to evaluate, assess the patient, assess the client, uh, look into the main clinical history, diet history, how, you, how are you eating, what do you eat, uh, what, what are the things we can make different, and then you do your calculations, uh, what's your BMR, what's your energy expenditure, calculate all of these different things, what is your protein requirements, your calories, uh, your carbohydrates, everything, to then put it into a Excel sheet and calculate all the different macronutrients for their meal plan. But this is just one thing. And since I've been doing coaching, I think the last thing I do is a meal plan. Mm. I actually don't do much more meal plans unless uh, it is an athlete or it is someone who needs something very, very specific to follow. But since I've been doing coaching, I feel like I'm more like a support and a psychologist rather than a dietitian Mm -hmm. because it is that ongoing process of talking with the clients and going back and forth what are the things you're struggling with how do you think you could do this better and rather than me telling them what to do i show them where to look and how to do things differently without changing their environment or changing things because i told them to do that Mm. And it, it all comes back down to which, what is, what is the starting point of that person? Some people get, come to me and they're in a very advanced level and I'm, I might not need to even teach them anything new, but it's more that uh, the accountability part of it mm. or um, navigating through specific strategies they are not aware of or specific problems they they they're trying to work through like pinch eating or improving the relationship with food with chronic dieting they experts in food they know what to eat they know exactly how many calories and how much protein is in each food but they are struggling to get away from it so it's it's, a, it's the opposite and I, I get other people that just come to me because they want to they they look at me as 
the dietitian that's going to make a, a meal plan and I actually need to break that thought. And I actually was having a conversation with a new client yesterday and I told him, I don't want you to think that this is going to have a start and an end. I want you to think long-term in the sense that anything that we do here and we decide to do together because we work as a team rather than me telling them what to do, I'm going to give you suggestions of the things I feel are going to work for you, but you've got to be on board and tell me your feedback and whether you feel like that's going to be a potential strategy that will work for you. So it is, it is a negotiation on the things that I feel like are going to be appropriate for his, his current situation and how we can make it work. But it's, uh, the things I told him is I want you to come up with things that you know you can do today and you can do tomorrow and you can continuously do it for the rest of your life. It's not something that I want you to think about like, okay, I start a diet today and my, waist, my goal is to get to 30 kilos less. When I reach that, that goal, it's not like you finish. So we want to work on how you maintain that goal, how you use not just your habits to eat better, but how do you implement other things that are, go along with it, like your mindset, like um, doing your physical activity and trying to work around those different uh, small actions that you can do every day that are going to successfully um, ensure your goals are rich and maintained over time. Hopefully it wasn't too long the introduction, but yes. No, 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 I love it because I mean, at least from what I could pick from what you were telling us was that number one, it's amazing how you, especially given the name, you know, the anti-diet dietitian, so many people who want to do business with you, so many people who want to receive coaching and change their bodies and their lives, they're thinking that the solution you're gonna give to them is, you know, eat this at breakfast, eat this at dinner, eat this at lunch. And what you're saying is that in some cases, yes, you know, like if it's a higher level athlete who needs like that strictness, then yes, it would work for him, especially if he has education and, you know, nutrition, science and so on and so forth. But at least my question to you now, Astra, would be, why is it that, that you focus so much on education and sustainability and adherence as opposed to a meal plan? Why do you focus on those three things so much more than just telling a client, especially for someone who's listening to this now and is thinking about, you know, doing business with you? Why are you telling them, hey, listen, let's go through a process of educating you and teaching you instead of just do this, just do this, just do that. Why do you focus on that? Uh, the, the best answer for you would be, look, it is increasing the awareness of the person that it is they don't need to just follow things blindly that, oh yeah, you tell me what to do and I do it. And it depends on the personality as well, because some people are happy to just follow what you tell them. Mm -hmm. um, but other people really want to understand why they have to do that. And because I'm a person who likes to, I love educating my clients, but I also feel, and I, I'm, I'm an advocate of understanding the reason why you do things is because when you understand something, the basics and the principles of something, your, your knowledge and your actions change completely because you now are going 
to do things because you understand why you're doing them and it makes sense to do them when you're not with someone who tells you what to do. So that's the is that's creating more independence in the person and building that capacity of and the ability to action things when someone is not there to watch for you or to tell you what to do. If you understand that a chronic calorie deficit or a very strict deficit that goes like, oh, well, I'm just wanting to lose weight and I'm going to go for a thousand calories. All right, you're creating a big calorie deficit, but why are you doing that? So when you tell them, well, if you do that consistently and for too long, it might not be sustainable, you know? Why it's not sustainable? Perhaps it's a good, you, you think it's a good amount that will be helpful to get you to your goal faster, but faster doesn't mean that's going to be sustainable or you're going to be able to adhere to that. Or it might just be that it's going to feel such a hard climb that you might give up in the middle of the climb. So when you explain those things and you increase the awareness of, well, if you go this path, it might be very hard and might not be sustainable for you. What about doing this this way? Maybe let's do a smaller calorie deficit. Let's work on other strategies that are going to help you along the way, perhaps just increasing more your physical activity in ways that doesn't feel so so steep mm-hmm. and we can do that uh, differently but not necessarily to cut your calories as much as possible rather give you the, the possibility to eat as much as you can while losing weight and changing your behavior and changing habits so my big focus is along the way i want to teach you habits and strategies that can allow you to Sustain this for life because it's not something that you will just, as I said before, it's not like initial point of a starting point and then a finish line. And that's the main reason why all diets that you go into that diet mentality, they fail in a big majority of people because you think that you got to follow something that potentially is not necessarily aligned to your preferences or your lifestyle and in addition to that it is that sense, that thinking that you're going to start something you're going to finish and then you go back to your previous diet mm-hmm. because you see this like a, a something that you will adapt for a period of time once you reach your goal you get rid of it and then you go back to what you used to do so instead of doing that the way you achieve sustainability and adherence is by modifying certain things in your current lifestyle and diet that feel like you can do them sustainably and changing them slowly over time so the change doesn't feel drastic or uh, way too, too harsh on your current situation and you feel like you can do them uh, sustainably. So for example, if uh, someone comes to me and tells me, I am struggling to exercise right now and to follow a plan where you just, I just don't want to get rid of the things I love. If I gave them just a meal plan and tell them to do four times or three times of resistance training a day without 
focusing on them as the person who, was, who is struggling, who is having these challenges, they will just follow that for a very limited period of time. And then because it's not aligned with what they, they can do initially, or I don't tell them how to get started or how to start putting things in place to achieve that sort of, well, that's the optimal or the ideal thing that you would do to get you to your goal, but you're not yet there. So I want you to take you step by step until you can actually achieve that. It might mean for you right now that we just need to swap oil uh, for just a small amount of spray when you cook your food. It might just be adding a little bit more uh, vegetables into your plate. It might be just that you want to swap your regular soda for a diet soda. So there are just these little things that will make a, a difference, but it's a small start that seems, seems and feels feasible. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. So that builds confidence and self-efficacy in the, in the person and they can feel they can do that. Then once you know they are doing that confidently, you can start challenging them to do something else. Okay, well, you're doing that perfect. You're doing that great. Let's add some, some new things to your diet. Let's add now um, a little bit more protein and let's do a little bit of more prepping and let's just meal plan in your head. What are you, what are you thinking of eating tomorrow? It's not a meal plan. It's planning what are you going to do so you're prepared in the case that you got to go to work and you, you, you have to take lunch with you or where are you going to eat if you go out? Um, what are the things that you have available for lunch if you are up and about and you don't have food with you? Do you have a snacks that you can take with you or things that you know are feasible and accessible to you in that moment that are going to be a better choice than just reaching for a fast food or something that might not be aligned to, to your goals right now. So it is a little bit of that challenging the clients to get them where they need to go. But starting at the level rather than thinking that you got to go, you're in this position and you tell them what to do. Rather go down to their level and, tell, and try to negotiate at their level what they can do build that self-efficacy and climb the stairs together. Okay, okay. Does and that make sense? It makes perfect sense because every single example that you're bringing up is basically saying that if you give them a meal plan, you're giving them a meal plan from like perhaps this level, but there might be things that they're not willing to give up. There might be things that, listen, they're going to work and they don't have this specific amount of time, which doesn't allow for them to cook or so on and so forth. And as a coach, as a dietitian, as, as someone who's in the industry working with these clients and these patients, we have to understand that, like you said, we need to work at their level, you know, and that's why even though a lot of clients might just think, hey, listen, Asher, please just give me a meal plan. And then if you tell me exactly what to do, I'll do that. That's not exactly the case. It has to be a process where you're teaching them, right, where you're making them independent. And I think business wise, I mean, there's some who would suggest that not making someone independent is what keeps them bringing them back to you. So, you know, they can go ahead and keep on paying you, but that's not what we want to do. If in fact we can actually make somebody independent by teaching them, like these are the principles of nutrition, 
then maybe they can continue to come back to us because, you know, they want the accountability because they want the support because they want to keep on learning. But if they don't, regardless, we know we left a human being out there who, you know, they know how to do a deficit. They know how to go in a bulk. They know how to maintain and they can always reach back to us or not. But that being said, Astrid, I want to go ahead and ask you now, especially being a dietitian, um, how much do you think of today's illnesses and diseases? How much of today's sicknesses do you think are due to improper poor habit lifestyles? And how much of it do you think is uh, due to acute diseases? It is a really good question and a hard one as well. Because on the one hand, there is obviously a huge change in in lifestyle, in the, the stress level, the, the amount of things we get to do in a day as professionals or people that are just really, really busy. You think about obesity and all the causes of it. And it is not just like they just lazy and they're eating more because they want to. It's, a, it's about so many different factors that from the environment that is just making things readily available more. There is more competition between brands. So they want to enchain. So they want to make uh, food more palatable, uh, more appetizing, more appealing to you. So they make that advertisements, they make food tastier, uh, they make it more available and cheaper. And things when, when it comes to choose healthy choices, they still get advertised, but they pricey or they might just be maybe less tasty or less provocative. So when you think about all these causes of, of obesity, it makes sense to think that it is easier to gain weight in our current environment without any sort of education. Or when you bring people and you ask them what is happening, why they gain the weight, obviously you analyze and you understand their environments and you, you can uh, draw the conclusions from there that it is not necessarily that they wanted to eat and that's it is something that is just goes beyond that. We also think about the sort of the clinical history, the medical conditions, as they become chronic over time, the more we repeat something and we get exposed to certain, to a specific environment or certain actions, we are much likely to acquire that condition. So it's like, for example, type two diabetes is uh, an acquired condition because you develop such a very poor lifestyle and poor habits over time that it gets to a point that your body is no longer able to respond in the way it used to. So that's where it comes back to the person of, well, you didn't do anything along all this time and now your body is pretty much unable to make another choice. So it has run out of options or like defense mechanisms to change or try to get back you down to a healthier point. So I guess my response is getting way too complex, but what I want to say is there is definitely an important impact from diet, from lifestyle, and from all the environment that is surrounding us that can have a very important effect in chronic diseases. 
as well as perhaps acute diseases. But I would say when you mention when you say acute diseases, like for example, which ones would you say are are you referring to when you mention chronic uh, acute disease? I would say, for example, how say comparatively about a hundred years ago, right? More people were dying from things like the influenza and smallpox and things like those more like contagious, you know, infectious diseases yeah. compared to like now where the top five, you know, reasons why people die are due to, you know, heart disease or say uh, cancer. Um, and so I guess what I'm trying to ask you is how much do you think, do you think today people are suffering more from poor lifestyle choices, which then lead to chronic disease? Or do you think that, we're still in an issue where we're facing a lot more acute diseases that are hurting us. I think it's a little bit of both uh, because acute diseases are hard to control and I would say are more out of our control. Uh, chronic diseases have an, an important ge genetic component of it as well as the lifestyle and environment component. So uh, I would say chronic diseases have a very important relation correlation with nutrition and lifestyle and habits, whereas um, whereas a, a acute diseases are very unlikely to be completely correlated to the way our body responds. For example, uh, infections or I don't know, like you could say there is some relation if we talk about our reaction allergy allergic reactions if you're allergic to peanuts or to dairy or something like that and you consume something immediately it is obviously it is obviously be related to the food but not necessarily because it was a habit or a choice but it was an accident so it's same with if you get a food poisoning food poisoning can be related to food but not necessarily because you decided to do to have that meal or you had the control over it is something that is just happens. So chronic diseases have an important component of lifestyle and choices, and because they happen uh, accumulative and over time, it's not something that you just do one day. Um, it happens. So mm. chronic liver disease, um, renal disease, cardiac disease, or heart problems, even like um, ne neuro neurological problems. Uh, diabetes, anything you name that is chronic, it, is ha it has a very important link to nutrition, to exercise or physical activity, lifestyle in general, stress management, and it has an important impact from your environment, and lastly, genetically. So you might have a, a gen a, 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 an important genetic portion of it, that can put you at risk or increase the chances that you or likelihoods to get those diseases. But there's something that we call epigenetics, and that's that the environment you, that it is around you, you can control a lot of things. You might not be able to control your genetics or the risk you have within you or your past medical history, but you have your environment and the actions I already mentioned before are things that are relatively under your control. So you can choose what to eat regardless of the environment. 
you can try to um, you can choose to eat a better better food. You can choose to eat um, more nutritious meals. You can choose to exercise more regularly. Um, you can choose all of these different things that you are in under your choice are the things that you can control. So if you can change those, you are in a much better position regardless of your genes or what you should be uh, supposed to, to look like in a few years' time because your parents had diabetes, then you're likely, likely to have diabetes too. But if you're really smart on managing your genetics, your epigenetics, I would say the, your environment, and the things you can control, then the risks is there, but it, it is just as a minuscule part of the whole puzzle. So that's where I'm saying chronic diseases are, are much more related to for a lifestyle and habits and diet, but at the same time, it is preventable. So you can prevent that to happen if you act in the prevention rather than in the cure for it. So if you get late and the person is already diabetic, it is very little you can do to change it. But if you take that person from the very beginning, if a person is already um, maybe at risk and you know the risks that's the, that are around the person and you act really quickly and you change behavior, change habits, change diet, uh, let in, teach them how to change the relatively their environment and how where they they live or how they choose to do certain things. That's going to lead to much better outcome to prevent these chronic diseases for uh, from happening. Whereas obviously acute diseases are really hard to control and they just happen. But as they happen, they can also be treated and. Hopefully, uh, you go back to your previous um, good health. And I think it's really important that you're mentioning how, <clears throat> I think in one of your posts recently, you mentioned how uh, genetics load the gun, but uh, lifestyle and you know your choices, they pull the trigger, right? And so I think it's very important because we've all faced clients who come from families who are stricken with diabetes, who are stricken with heart disease. And... Um, maybe this is your experience, you know, um, where say you find a client who comes from that kind of history and they kind of tell you, well, I'm probably going to get it because my whole family has it, you know, but the reality is, is like, you don't have to, you know, like maybe you have those genes, but you don't have to go down that road. You could simply, you know, take care of yourself instead of getting to that point when we can't do anything. And given the fact that there's so many that chronic diseases are often rooted in poor lifestyle choices, which can be very complicated, of course, you know, because obesity, like you said, isn't just, he's lazy. It's not, it's a lot more multifaceted than that. Um, but I think that a big failing of our school systems, I don't know how it is in Australia, but at least here, you know, in the, in the United States, we never really get any education on how to eat. You know, if we go to the doctor's office, you know, we ask for advice on, you know, if how sh we should eat better. We simply just typically here eat healthier, but we never really get like, oh, hey, let's say when someone meets you, you know, or they meet me like, OK, listen, this is a deficit. These are micros. These are macros. This is how to have fun foods versus healthy foods, so on and so forth. But then I guess my question to you, Astrid, is this.
if given the nutrition industry, given all the things, all the myths, all the bullshit, all the things that are going on in the nutrition industry, what would you say would be the one thing that every nutrition coach, if every nutritionist, if every dietitian could start promoting and communicating, what do you think would be that one thing to just change as many people's lives? If we can only say one message, what would that message be? Well, I would say stop demonizing foods or making things like looking um, good and bad things. Good and bad foods are, I think, the starting point for people of making the choices they make in the sense that, well, I know they have to eat good foods, but at the bad foods, I need to cut them out from my diet or um, just following a dichotomous thinking of all or nothing mindsets. If I do this, then I have to uh, eliminate completely the other things because that's not going to be allowed in my diet. So this dichotomous thinking, I would say, is the most important thing that we need to change and rather trying to think neutral or maybe just go in the middle and say that it's, it's fine if we have a little bit of both worlds, but it is finding that balance that works for each person. And obviously looking at the proportion of the things or proportion of the foods we have uh, in relationship in relation to other foods. So I know that people will come up, come out and say, well, all foods are not equal because there are foods that make you, um, make you gain weight or they are going to harm your health and others will say well all food should be considered or included in your diet in a reasonable way and that's where i incline to go for because we need to really think that all foods might be seen neutral but there are obviously differences in the nutritional profile of them mm -hmm. and we want to just make sure we look at the 80% of our diet being wholesome, quite nutritious, like the foods that are in that range of highly nutrition profile, where they are high protein, higher in fiber, low glycemic index, um, or low glycemic load. We get there quite uh, rich in micronutrients, so multivitamins and minerals, and um, additional nutrients. We want that to be the biggest proportion of our diet or, uh, or be this 80, 90% range of the majority of a diet. But we also want to make sure we allow those extra things, that joyful foods, that those treats, those, those foods that are not necessarily to fuel or nourish our body, but they are part of our culture or lives or emotions uh, is just part of life. Uh, and rather than looking at them as bad or as a cheat meal, we look them a, as a opportunity to socialize or an opportunity to have things you like, have things you enjoy in a mother, in a mother way. And that would be about 10 to 20% of your diet. It's not going to be your main part of your diet but is you know it you have the unconditional permission to have those things whenever you want and to include them in your diet in a reasonable amount of course 
and being able to enjoy them. And when you understand you have that permission, it is like knowing that you have access to it anytime. And when you understand the principles that I already mentioned to you, that you want to make sure 80% 80 of your diet is highly nutritious, you want to, you, you probably will be more likely to have these uh, treat foods occasionally and that will be fine for you. So it is more like, this is no longer a temptation. It is not prohibited. So it, the, the urge for me to have that is not huge because I can have them when I want to. Mm-hmm. So that leads you to prevent binge eating or go into a massive binge uh, at the end of the weekend or at night. Some people save all the calories because they're just craving for something that they prefer to save all the calories, skip breakfast, skip lunch, and save all the calories for dinner when they go, they're, they're going to go and get a pizza because it is a bad food. It is something that they have to save calories for because it's not allowed in their diet. So my message would be stopping, stop demonizing foods, make them all neutral, and stop that economist thinking of good and bad or all or nothing and try to find an approach that is inclusive that it, rather than exclusive. So it's more a flexible mindset approach where you include things in a moderate way. 80% of your diet being mostly highly uh, volume and highly nutrition profile foods. And on the other hand, you've got your 10 to 20% of the other foods that might be the component of socializing emotions, um, all these different uh, aspects of life that are not necessarily included included in nourishing your body or nourishing or, 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 or making something that is only for fuel. So food is more than that. So we want to make sure we are holistically approaching food as a whole and not just as fuel or as nutrition for the body. It's more than that. So it, it, it nourishes our soul, uh, our emotions. Um, it, it, it encompasses our culture, our family, special times, memories. So it is much more than just fuel. And that's where where. Uh, a better thinking and a better approach to food it is so important. Okay. Okay. So, Astrid, I mean, listening to you right now, I know you're tight on time, but just given what you told me right now, I need to ask you this. Why? Because I see what you're saying as far as how if people, if we give out the message that you need to get rid of the, the, the dichotomous thinking and you need to understand the nutritional profiles of different foods, them being neutral. You know, sometimes they might be better for you. Sometimes this might not be better for you, given your goals, given your situation, so on and so forth. My final question to you would just be, why, why that message though? Why not say the message being um, no herbal life or get rid of, you know, uh, supplements and focus on whole food eating um, or say, um, let's say, uh, focusing on promoting the message of a calorie deficit. 
why that specific message out of all those other things? Why do you think that would be the number one most important thing? Well, in my case, I would say if you have that mentality, your relationship with foods uh, in the first place is going to be different and you're creating long-term sustainability. Again, it comes back down to thinking what you can adhere to and what makes sense to have that thinking for life that is going to give you the benefit of having the chance of enjoying a birthday, enjoying your own birthday. I remember in my past, I, in my birthday, I wouldn't eat cake because I wouldn't allow myself to have it because cake was fattening and was bad for me. And that makes me think that if you have a, you get rid of that decon of thinking and you, you have the unconditional permission and the inclusion of all things, but you understand obviously the principles of that 80 to 20 rule, you know that you can include things you love without affecting your mental health. Because when you start eating things, you know, they are bad or forbidden, you feel guilty, you feel shame, you feel weak because you feel like you have no willpower. You feel like you don't, you don't have the moral or, or you feel uh, unsuperior to others because it's like you're eating bad things. You're eating prohibited things. You're, you're making sins. So all of these things, once you change your behavior and your thinking, saying, actually, I am allowed to have these. I'm allowed to enjoy them. But then you bring mindfulness to it. So you ask, why am I eating this? How am I going to eat this? And what are my feelings? And how can I uh, enjoy this the most? Uh, how can I get the most out of this right now? So it becomes meaningful rather than going into a piece of chocolate with no, no brain, no intentions, and you just eat it in autopilot mode. And then it doesn't make sense to have that that way. So it is not just the actual facts that you can have things that are in that 20% of, of this category, but also bringing that mindfulness and that, that presence into it. So you, you get out of these special meals and experience and memories and special times rather than, oh, I just ate a bag of chocolate and that's it. What happened? So that's, that's kind of my message that if you include everything in your diet, it is not just your body, but it's also your mental health and the long-term sustainability that will allow you to just have a, a healthier relationship with food. It gives you a much better relationship with your body and it get, gets you in tune with your with your life overall, because then you can socialize, you can enjoy foods with your husband or with your, with your kids, with your family. And you're not going with that stress or that anxiety that you're going to eat something that is bad for you. So it goes just beyond nutri, nutri, uh, nourishing your body. It goes a, a lot about enjoying life, 
in a smart way and still getting you to achieve your goals. And I think Astrid, in summation, how you're describing that by changing our relationship to food, we very much change our relationship to our bodies, to our other relationships, to other people, to our lives in general, and the mean that we derive from having a meal at a birthday party, from sharing a glass of wine with a spouse. And I think having heard you say that, um, I think that's something that I'm going to start to emphasize even more so just in my own content and in my own coaching, because I think that's a big domino. I honestly do think that's a big domino that if we as uh, nutrition, uh, nutrition and fitness professionals, we just tip over that everything else along with the myths and the BS that we encounter, you know, with clients on down the road, that they're going to be helped, they're going to be healed. But that being said, Astra, I just want to go ahead and ask you then, um, where can people find you? Where can people find you and how can you help them change their bodies and their lives? You can find me mainly in my Instagram. Uh, that's where I have all my links to my, my profile, my website. And just reach me if you need anything from me. If you have any questions, just anti-diet underscore dietitian. And happy to help you, happy to talk with you and send me any any message or any hearts if you want to connect with me and happy to jump again on on another podcast with you if you want to continue to spread this message and really um, help people to improve their relationship with food and change that dichotomy all or nothing approach yes of course that's right i mean i feel like we can talk uh for even longer but given the fact that you're personal time on personal time I guess we're going to go ahead and end this. And once again, uh, like she said, anti-diet underscore dietitian. Follow her on Instagram. If you need any help with changing your relationship with food so you can change your relationship with yourself and your body, go ahead and follow her. So Astrid, that being said, we're going to be logging off now uh, in three, two, one. Thank you so much. All right. Yo, that was the end of the show. Hope you got lots of value and a big thank you for tuning in and also a big thank you for giving me your precious time. Please subscribe to the podcast. Make sure to share the show with a brother who needs to hear this message. And if you're in northern slash central New Jersey and want to sign up for the Haven Warrior Challenge, text me at 908-997-0620. Finally, follow me on Instagram at instagram.com forward slash B-I-S-M-A-R-K-M-O-N-T-I-E-L. Bismarck Montiel. God bless you and power to you, my man.